0: Welcome to Oz Table Talk. We help millennials wrestle with their faith and start the conversations that we have been avoiding too long. So, let's get started. Hey, Table Talk family. This week, we had some trouble.
1: Dear Jesus, please hold my internet connection in the palm of your hand so it doesn't crash again. Amen.
0: As you can hear by that prayer, We were having all kinds of connection issues. But God heard that prayer, he answered it, and the rest of the interview was perfect, even though we got disconnected like three times in just a couple of minutes. So, number one, thank God for that. Number two, this interview is with the amazing Pastor Marcus Torres. Now, you know... It's very rare that you meet someone who you have a talk to and you realize that this man is going somewhere. He is going to achieve something significant. You often look at people who are older and more established in ministry and you can see what they've done and you go, wow, that guy's done these amazing things that may not have been obvious when they started. But Marcus, in my mind anyway, is one of those few individuals who you see them and even early in their ministry you can see that God is taking them somewhere special, and I consider it a, an honor and a privilege to have had the opportunity to spend an hour and have a chat with him. In this interview, you'll hear all kinds of things. You'll hear about his uh, his life before being in ministry. You'll hear about his time in the army. You'll hear about how he works with new churches when he comes in. What are the specific tactics that you can take and use in your church that will really improve things? There's all kinds of things. There's great stories, and I hope you Really, really enjoy it. See you on the other side. All right, welcome to another episode of Oz Table Talk. Now, today I am sitting at the table, so to speak, with Pastor Marcus Torres. Welcome to the show. Hey, man. Um, Glad to be here. Super excited. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So just so, uh, because obviously there's going to be people out there who haven't heard your name before. So can you just give us a little quick rundown of who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, again, mm-hmm. uh, my name is Marcus Torres. I'm originally from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents are from the island uh, Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. and I was uh, born and raised in New Jersey. And now uh, I live in Western Australia, <laughs> uh, <laughs> literally, <big> <laughs> literally the other side of the planet. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm a pastor here in Western Australia, mm-hmm. and uh, and the host of uh, the StoryChurchProject.com
0: cool well we're gonna unpack a bit more of that later and find out exactly what you're doing with that but uh just to start with i'd like to hit the rewind and you know go back because you mentioned obviously you you started life in the u.s so um yeah what was the like going back to then obviously you didn't foresee living in western australia being a pastor at
1: this point so when you were young what did you want to do when you grew up good question man um and look, just uh, before I before I, I actually give you the answer, which you might find a bit amusing, um, I want to add that I didn't even know Perf existed. Um, it was <laughs> <laughs> it was not on my consciousness at all. Um, so what did I want to be? Um, interesting. Uh, I wanted to be a comic book illustrator. Wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, so did that come from a love of comic books? It came from, yeah, a love of comic books. I was an avid comic book collector. Mm-hmm. Um, I had drawers that, you know, where I, I didn't just stuff them in there randomly. Like, they were collected, and they were in plastic, and they were laid out in order. I mean, it was, you know. Wow. All these so, posters s- all over my wall as well. I was really into it, and I was an artist as well.
0: Okay. So, which which comics? Just because I know people are going to ask
1: me. Oh, man. Look, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. So... um. Let's see. I I was a huge fan of um, Marvel. Obviously, everybody loves Marvel. Wasn't a very big DC guy. Mm -hmm. Definitely Mm -hmm. Marvel. But I was the bigger fan of a company called Top Cow, which if you're not into the comic world, you probably have never heard of it. Yep, you're right. Um, (laughs) Because Marvel has sort of that history and notoriety where you may not be into that Mm -hmm. and you still know who they are. Um, Top Cow, you kind of have to be into it. But yeah, Top Cow was my favorite and, uh, look, they had a lot of storylines and I collected a whole bunch of them, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, one of my favorites was the series called rising stars. Um, but of course, you know, there was the typical sort of Spider-Man, Captain Marvel. I love Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those, those sort of typical ones that most people would be familiar with. Um, which was another real popular one back then, uh, top cow one, um, Aspen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So man it was yeah yeah, there's so many of them (laughs) and no one's asked me this question in a while so i'm going back like 12 13 years here man (laughs)
0: yeah no that's cool i was just just curious so if that was what you wanted to do when you were young so when did that change and what did that change to
1: yeah so uh when i was about 17 years old um i wanted to get into uh, uh an art school uh go to university and get into an art school and just sort of pursue that, that career path. Um, part of the challenge for me though, was that I was never ever really a good student. So my grades weren't good at all. You know, I, I, uh, I was just into art and I could care less about math and science and all that stuff. So, um, when it came time to look into university, I was like, Oh boy, who's going to take me, man. You know, (laughs) I, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not a very good student, but that was the path that I was pursuing. But around that same time, Um, I started getting into, uh, you know, I noticed that the, the, the youth group in my local church was really dead. Like we weren't into anything and I had a conversation with a friend of mine and I was like, dude, we should look into doing something. And so we started preaching and the very first time I ever preached, the room was full of like 200 people. It was Friday night and, um, and I preached and it was, and it was one of those moments where I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, dude, this is what I want you to do. You know, this is this is what I'm calling you to do, and so after that, I just sort of abandoned the illustrator ideas and and dreams. And to be honest, I don't regret it, man. I have not looked back and thought, oh, I wish I could have done that instead. Hmm. Um, being a part of building the kingdom is totally where my passion is at.
0: Okay, so uh, I want to explore that a little bit more. So, when you were in that, uh, you know, in that scenario where you're like, hey, let's do something was there a catalyst was there a specific event was what 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 led you to say hey I'm just going to start preaching
1: yeah look really um it's interesting that you asked that question because I was just meeting with a with a guy at uh, one of the youth at my church and I had just shared a bit of the story with him uh the basic thing that had been going on is that I had been this is when I was a senior in high school and I was dating <clears throat> part of me I was dating a girl in high school who it became really clear that she wasn't really interested in following god hmm. And so that relationship ended, and I just kind of went back to church, thinking, you know, uh, if 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 I'm going to make a decision like that, if you know, if we're going to make a a sacrifice like that, um, because I want to follow Jesus, then I'm not going to go back to just sit on a chair, you know. Um, so it was one of those moments because God wasn't really real to me up to that point in my life. It was just something, you know, that I had grown up with and I hadn't never really made a decision to follow him that was real and and life-changing. And so in this moment, it was like, okay, you know, I've been dating this girl for about a year and now it's over because of God. Um, the premise is I'm going to be following him and that's why, you know, this relationship has ended. And, and then, yeah, it's just that thought like, well... If I'm, if it's gonna go down like that, then <laughs> I can't just go back to church and sit on a chair, man. I gotta do something. Mm. Um, and so that's when I talked with my friend. We were like, "Yeah, look, our youth group's dead, man. Let's do something. Let's let's put something together." And that's that was the catalyst, man.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. So, do you remember what your first sermon was on? Do you remember the topic?
1: Yeah, actually, I do. My first sermon was on um, the verse "Many are called, but few are chosen," and it was a, I think it was the um, I had was going through the parable of the um, the virgins. Okay. The, 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 the 10. Yeah. And um, that was what it was about. Yeah. Hmm. um And if I were to go back and listen to it, I might be like, oh, you know. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> but it was a starting point. It was a starting point. Yeah,
0: that's it. Everyone needs one. so Okay. <clears throat> so there's something that's not clear to me. I know that you, at least at some point, you, you were in the military. And so how do you get from preaching that Friday night to 200 people and being on fire and letting go of your previous... Uh, career aspirations to being in the army?
1: Yeah. I get a, that question a lot more outside of America mm-hmm. than I do in America.
0: Okay. Uh, because so, is in that just America, like a
1: normal th- progression in, in, in American is. culture? It is, especially, especially when you don't have money to go to uni. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and so, look, I didn't have the money to go to uni. But on top of that, there is a very strong culture in America where... You know, military service is a righteous thing to do. Yeah, um, it's it's a really strong sort of culture in the U.S. Whereas I find outside of the U.S., that idea isn't there. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if you're a Christian, you don't join the military. Whereas in America, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, without going too far down that rabbit hole, because sure. that's a
0: <laughs> that's another one, right?
1: Separate <laughs> conversation altogether. Um, yeah, look, uh, I, I just I. I graduated high school, I knew I wanted to do ministry, but I was sitting around for six months. I didn't have money to go to university. And so I just decided, hey, I'm going to join the military. A friend of mine went to the recruiter's office. I went with him and uh, we signed up and uh, it, was, it was a way for me to actually have the ability to go to university because they cover school for you. Okay. Um, yeah. So, that's, that's probably the basic, the basic answer.
0: Mm, sure. So, um, just from that, uh, from that point of view, because like you say, for the people that are uh, you know, in Australian culture, you, generally speaking, if you are in the church, you don't generally go into uh, army and military service. So, do you feel like that experience being in the army, do you feel like that gave you skills that are, that are translatable to ministry?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Mm-hmm. It it gave me skills that are not, and I had to let those go. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but um, it did give me skills that are, in particular, I think, um, understanding military strategy, mm-hmm. understanding combat insurgent tactics, has been really insightful for me as I look at, you know, the the great controversy and just the 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 battle over um, over culture you know, over over human heart, um, it's it's given me some pretty, pretty cool insights, at least for me. I don't know if other people find them cool, but I find them cool. And um, as I think about them, it, it helps me see things in a, in a broad way and it helps me make sense of stuff, even in my own ministry. So it did. And of course, the leadership side of things um, is super duper helpful. And um really gave me this a really strong foundation for leadership mm. that I still use to this day. Like my entire philosophy of leadership is is in what I learn from Jesus style of leadership mm. and also what I learned by being a sergeant in the army um, and and the leadership skills that I had to exemplify there. And to be honest, they're very, very similar. Good leadership um, in the military is no different to good leadership in the secular sphere, or in the church. It all boils down to the same basic premises, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I think that's interesting, because a lot of people, generally, there's the the commonly held belief, oh, well, if you're in the army, you outrank someone, then you just tell everyone what to do and they'll do whatever you want them to do. So therefore leadership is easy, but it, <laughs> it doesn't work that way,
1: right? No, no, not at all, man. Yeah. And look, yeah. um, that is one of the lessons that I had to unlearn mm-hmm. because obviously in church, I'm working with volunteers. So there is a sense of which in the military you give an order and your mm-hmm. soldiers obey. Mm-hmm. But um, it's also a lot more complicated than that mm-hmm. because when you go into combat, you You don't just want a whole bunch of um compliant people with you hmm. you 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 want people who you can trust your life with them. Hmm. Um, and you don't get that if you're a leader who just demands compliance. Hmm. you You may get soldiers who say, "Yes, yeah, sergeant, I'll do what you say, but when you're in the thick of it in a combat zone, yeah, that's not what you're that's not what gives you comfort, man. You you want to know that this guy's got your back and and that he's looking after you because he cares about you and you care about him. Um and so it is certainly there are leaders who settle at the let me be a requiring leader. I require you to do x y and z. Whereas in the military I learned to be an inspiring leader, not a requiring leader. And inspiring leaders are the ones who actually produce meaningful and lasting change. Requiring leaders might produce change in the short run, but it's not lasting and it's not meaningful.
0: Mm. I guess you could say to speak to what you mentioned before about culture. uh, Requiring leader will never change the culture. They may change behavior, but they won't change
1: the culture. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And the thing about being a requiring leader is that you got to be patient. Mm. I'm sorry, an inspiring leader. Yeah. Requiring leaders don't have to be patient they can just go in flex their muscles and make things happen hmm. um, but as soon as they leave it all falls apart hmm. an inspiring leader it's a long haul it takes a long time to get to the results that you want because you're changing the culture you're changing mindsets you're you're equipping people but once it clicks hmm. you can leave and it'll continue to you know that fire will continue to burn for, for decades. Hmm.
0: So, um, so sort of fast forwarding. So we know that you eventually got to Perth. So, uh, what was it that made you decide to move to Australia?
1: Yeah. So on my last year in the army, I uh, I met my wife on AdventistSinglesConnection.com. dot Woo! Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, uh, we actually um, we actually jumped on there recently. I think it was last year to see if maybe they'd send us on a free cruise if we gave them our success story. <laughs> um, And uh but yeah, no, it didn't it didn't pan out that way. But (laughs) um but um yeah we met on there, man, it was two thousand seven, I think, or two thousand six. Boy, I can't remember, that's embarrassing. But um (laughs) We won't tell her, that's uh, okay. We won't let her listen to this episode. Yeah, that's right. Um although I think she's in the next room, so she can hear me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But um yeah, we met on there and look, we talked for about eight months. I was in Hawaii, I was stationed in Hawaii, um, and she was here. And then she came out to Hawaii to visit, hmm. um, which was very brave of her because I could have been a total weirdo. Hmm. Um, and so she discovered I was only a partial weirdo, which was okay. <laughs> um, success. And yeah, yeah, success. Yeah. Um, and then you know I got out of the army shortly after and bounced bounced back and forth between Australia and Hawaii for a little while. And uh, we got married in um, in two thousand and eight. And the interesting thing is we were actually getting planning on getting married in in two thousand and. Uh, Sorry, we got married in 2007. We were planning on getting married in 2008 in Hawaii. But at this point, I was out of the Army, and they called me back in. And so they called me back in for a tour in Iraq. And so before I left uh, in 2007, um, we were married. And then a week later, I flew out. Oh, and, uh, that would, be, that yeah. would have been tough. Oh, look, it was. It mm. definitely was. Yeah, probably more for her than for me because mm. um, for me, it was almost like a, a dream come true. I'd been in the Army for – three and a half years and i hadn't been deployed so i kind of had this chip on my shoulder Hmm. and i was like yes finally i can do my bid Hmm. um but it would have been yeah it would have been certainly much harder for her but um when i got back uh, from you know from iraq i i got out of the army again Hmm. and uh went to america to study at southern adventist university candace came with me Hmm. um and then when we were finished, we were like, dude, let's go back to Australia, man, because I got this big heart for postmodern secular outreach and Australia is a like, place for that. Yeah, man. Australia is the poster child for postmodern secular culture, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> um, so we really felt God leading us back here. And so here we are. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. So uh, you've, you've already kind of mentioned a, a couple of things, but in that move, uh, what, were, what has been some of the biggest cultural differences that you've noticed between the church in America and in Australia?
1: Yeah, that's that's a tough one because um, I grew up in a Latin church.
0: Okay, so, so really, it's a Latin culture,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. So mm. Latin churches are already very different from um, Caucasian churches, mm. just because you know they're totally different cultures. So um, the changes, I mean, the differences are are quite massive if I look at it from the Latin side of things, because um, <clears throat> Latin cultures, uh, Latin churches are very, very, very um, traditional. Mm. And, uh, it's funny because people will tell me, you know, when I first started working here as a pastor and I was given, uh, an, an, an assignment at a, at a local church that was conservative and people would say to me, Oh, Marcus, man, they're conservative, dude. I don't know how, I don't know if you're going to have a good time there. They're, they're too, they're too traditional. <laughs> and I went there and I was like, man, this ain't traditional, dude. You, you'd never been to my home church where I grew up. Let me tell you. That That was on a whole other level. So in a way, I'm kind of thankful because a lot of these churches that guys struggle to work at because they're so old school, Mm -hmm. I'm like, this ain't that old school at all, man. (laughs) By comparison, (laughs) uh, it's it's very, very different. But outside of that, look, uh, I think we face a lot of the same similar challenges here as we do in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And and that is um, youth retention um, is a big one. And also uh, just reaching the secular culture is a massive one and we have the same struggles there that we do here is our local churches are simply not doing a good job at connecting with and reaching uh, secular culture um, and 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 even at retaining their own youth so I find the same challenges there I, I see them here as well yeah so I want to transition
0: to talk about exactly that. So how, how we can, you know, talking about the church and, and the ministry that you're doing right now. But one more question just specifically about your personal development. So who who has shaped your thinking the most? I mean, that could be mentors, authors, pastors, you know, because you seem to have a really unique perspective. And so I'm just curious as to who would have been the, the larger influences that you've experienced. They could be known people. They could be unknown people.
1: Yeah. Oh man! Look, oh, so many. Mm-hmm. It's not even funny. Melts, so many. So many. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been influenced very, very highly by a Latin preacher, who uh, unless you're Latino, you never. If you're Latino, you heard of the guy, but if you're <laughs> not Latino, you haven't heard of him. Um, his name is Alejandro Bouillon. Mm-hmm. Um, very highly influenced by him, and um, very highly influenced by. Um, you know, thinkers like George Knight, Mm -hmm. uh, Martin Weber was a big one. Uh, Ty Gibson, Mm -hmm. uh, another one. Um, yeah, look, there's so many of them when it comes to, um, ministry to the culture, um, guys like Francis Chan, Mm -hmm. um, Russell Burrow, um, Andy Stanley, I mean it's just a never-ending yeah yeah (laughs) the the list of people that i've been influenced by is Mm -hmm. is is quite large um but i've also spent a lot of time just in the bible because you know when when you're in pain and you need answers there's only one real place you can go Uh, all of these other influencers they're good Hmm. but you got if you don't take the time to just go to the bible yourself you're never gonna fully get it you know and and so i have spent a lot of time just in the bible just trying to figure stuff out and trying to see you know um not only how god relates to me as an individual but uh, to us as a culture um and yeah and and so that has been a a big one And, and also experiences just basic experiences that i've had like when i was in the army Um, The vast majority of the conversations that I had uh, about God were with these rough, tough, secular, uninterested in church kind of guys Mm. and had some amazing conversations, amazing impromptu Bible studies, you know, on the way to Baghdad, you know, just talking about (laughs) uh, talking about Jesus and answering their questions. And the thing that blew my mind was how thirsty they were for God and how how they didn't see the church as playing any role in that whatsoever in that exploration um and That's so an yeah indictment. look a, a huge indictment and um and a big part of it has been me just trying to figure out you know i'm not in the army anymore i'm not having these conversations on a, on a regular basis unless i'm searching for them mm-hmm. out there they were searching for me you know now mm-hmm. i'm searching for them and and I just want to know how can we reach these guys, you know? How can I connect with these guys and let them know that as a local church we have something to say hmm. that is going to add meaning and value to their lives, you know? It's and so that's part of my my passion, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so I, I guess that's a that's a great place to segue. So in in your in your thinking, how how do we do that? What do you think is the are the keys to communicating that that the church isn't irrelevant?
1: Yeah. Wow. So this is, again, a a topic that I explore a lot, and I always premise it with this. I don't think I have the answer. Hmm. Uh, I think what I offer is a answer. Hmm. Um, I don't know that there is such a thing as here is the solution. Here is the way. If everybody copies this blueprint, Hmm. then we'll all be fine. Uh, I don't think that that exists. Um, what I have is my perspective, my experiences, my conversations, my challenges, uh, my struggles and my research and, and my practice as well as a local church pastor that I implement, that I wrestle with, that I have conversations over and, and, and it gives me an angle that I think others can glean something from, but I always tell people, look, if you hear what I have to say, make sure you tweak it in your context because that's so necessary. And, um, and so that elasticity, I guess is a value that I think our churches need, our leaders need. We all need to be elastic and, and be able to just adapt in whatever setting. And and so even though I'm all for innovation and creativity and stuff, um, I definitely don't believe that if you just listen to Marcus, that you're going to have all your questions answered, you know? So that's my premise. That's my premise, you know? Yeah. Uh, but with that, with that said, um, I, I look at this I look at this whole thing in 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 three basic elements. And uh and and not not to do like a like a promo here or anything but <laughs> far <Fire laughs> away. Um if you go to the storychurchproject.com which is the project where I pour into this conversation and you subscribe to the newsletter what I'm about to say you get the full meat of it because I'll give you the short version uh, and you can get the full meat of it. And it's free It's seven videos. I'll send you a password to a link and you can just watch them there. Um, but here's the the basic thing. So when I look at church, I, I, I think of church in three different main categories, and I'm going to use a, a human body as an illustration of that. Um, you have the heartbeat, you have the muscle mm-hmm. and you have the cosmetics. So the heartbeat, and I'm oversimplifying here, but just for the sake of illustration, for the sake of conversation, the heartbeat is what gives us life. Hmm. Now I know the lungs do too, and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. humor me, all right? Yeah. The heartbeat, <laughs> the you. heartbeat is is where our life comes from. Um, if our heart's not beating, we don't have life. Um, our muscle is what enables us to actually get up and do something with that life. Hmm. So if my heart was beating, but I had no musculoskeletal system, it was just a beating heart with a brain, I wouldn't be able to do anything. Hmm. You know, I'd have life, but my life would be impractical. I wouldn't actually be able to do anything. You need the musculoskeletal system or the muscle, just to keep it simple, to actually get up and do something with the life that you have. And then the cosmetics is how people see you. So the clothes that you wear, the style of your hair, the makeup, the jewelry, all that stuff, that's the cosmetics. It's, it's what people see when they look at you. Um, and so when it comes to this illustration, what, what I, the point that I'm making is that the church operates the same exact way. There is a heartbeat to the church. There is a muscle to the church and there is a cosmetic to the church. The cosmetic of the church is what people see. Is this church have an ugly carpet? Does it have a modern carpet? Does it have pews? Does it have round tables? Uh, is it is it contemporary? Is it traditional? Um, you know that sort of stuff. Is the are the graphics trendy or are they terrible? Is the parking lot clean or does it have weeds growing out of every crack? That's the cosmetics. Um, the muscle is what enables the church again to to do things so that would be our structure the business meeting the board meeting the elders the deacons you know that the ministry structure it's what enables the church to do stuff and the heartbeat is why the church exists and so what i found in my experience is that i was always trying to figure out like how can i get a church back to life hmm. right how can i get the local church to begin doing meaningful things and, and, and to just be revived, you know, and to do something meaningful for its young people and for the community at large. Um, and so what I discovered was, and, and I'm talking here in terms of both youth retention and outreach, what I discovered was that somewhere along the line, the church lost its heartbeat, its reason for being. Right, the heartbeat is where you derive meaning and, and life and excitement. It's, it's reason for being, the Great Commission, right? The, the 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 Gospel, the story that God has called us to tell. That's the heartbeat. Hmm. And somewhere along the ways, the church lost its heartbeat. Hmm. So when it lost its heartbeat, the muscle, the structure, turned inward. Now that muscle is supposed to make the life of the church, the heartbeat of the church come to life, right? It's meant to do something with it. But if the church doesn't have a heartbeat, what happens to the muscle? It turns inward. So now what do you have? You have business meetings arguing about carpets. You have board meetings arguing about, you know, dumb stuff like, mm-hmm. you know, which light bulb should we use for this room or that room? No, that one's too expensive. No, that one, you know, and you actually have churches that split over dumb stuff like this. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the elders Just exist. Just throw in right there, in my, in my younger days, I knew a church personally that lost some silly number of members, like 30 members or something, because they couldn't decide on what color the toilet should be.
1: Incredible. See, yeah, there's an example <laughs> right there. <laughs> there's a, that's a brilliant example. Yeah. And look, these are extreme examples, but you can see this happening even in more basic terms. Like, yeah. you'll have a church that's inwardly focused. And so, if you were to go to the board meeting, for example, if you were to look at the treasurer's report, where's all the money being spent? It's being spent on us. It's all inward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the elders do nothing except administration. Mm-hmm. The deacons do nothing except clean up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no outward focus. And that's because the church has no heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And and so if it has no heartbeat, its muscles gotta find something to do. So rather than bringing the heartbeat to life, since there is no heartbeat, it just turns inward mm-hmm. and it becomes toxic. Um, and so what happens in this scenario then is that now you have a dead and irrelevant church. It has no heartbeat and its structure is meaningless. It operates for nothing other than its own appeasement. And so it's it's dead and it's irrelevant. And so now you've got youth exodus, for example. You've got emerging generations growing up around the church that are not being reached. <clears throat> you've got entire communities that have no idea your local church even exists, right? These are the re- results of this. And, and what you end up with... <clears throat> is just a scenario that people who are conscientious desperately want to fix. And so what I observed was somewhere along the lines, some really well-meaning church members said, look, the church is losing its youth. We have to do something about it, right? We, we have to change something so that the youth will stay or so that we can start reaching people. And rather than going back to the heartbeat, what they did was they put all of their energy and focus on the cosmetics. Hmm. Let's change the band. Hmm. Let's change the music. Let's update it. Let's make it hip. Let's make it contemporary. Let's make it cool. And let me let me um throw in here that I love contemporary churches. Hmm. I'm a contemporary guy. I, you know, I'm I'm not very traditional. I, I love contemporary music and contemporary worship. Um, and so I don't, I don't have a problem with that stuff. Hmm. But the point that I'm making is that it doesn't work. And so what you have is churches focusing exclusively on cosmetics. Let's change this, let's change that. Let's let's get rid of the pews and put round tables. And look, I love round tables. They're cool. They're like the new thing, right? And mm-hmm. and um let's get a cool carpet. Let's get some nice posters on the wall. Let's get, you know, again, the cool band and the pastor can dress in skinny jeans and have tattoos and oh, it's so awesome. It's so cool and everybody loves it. <laughs> but what ends up happening When all you've done is change the cosmetic is it initially attracts the youth and it initially might attract some people in your community but it's only a matter of time before they realize this is the same dead church only prettier Mm. and so what ends up happening is like a health it's like a human being who has an unhealthy heart who puts you know lots of cosmetics lots of makeup on Um, to make themselves look healthy and they look really good on the outside, but on the inside, they've got heart disease and they're dying, right? Mm. That's the problem with many of our, our churches is that they, they either stay in their dead, irrelevant state or someone tries to fix it. But rather than going to the actual problem, which is no heartbeat, they just fix the cosmetics and think that that's going to bring the solution. And if you look at all the research that is out there, whether it's Barna research, whether it is um, Pew research, whether it's natural church development, uh, because I read these as often as I can, Mm -hmm. there is not a single bit of data that conclusively demonstrates that you stay or leave because of the style of the music in your church, right? And so the reason why I bring that up is because I see people come to church and they want to change the church because they want their youths to stay and they go to war over this thing because they think that this is the holy grail mm. they think that this is going to fix everything and i've seen churches that have actually made this change and again the results are very temporary it's only a little bit of time little matter of time before the young people realize oh this is just as dead as it's always been it's just prettier um so look i love contemporary worship music i love contemporary churches they speak my language i'm a millennial hmm. um i love visiting them as often as i can and i get into it man i get into it um, but if we're talking about reviving our churches that's not the answer hmm. uh you've got to go back to the heartbeat hmm. you've got to rediscover why does the church exist if it doesn't have a heartbeat then nothing else you do is really going to matter and so when people say you know how do we become a relevant church for our young people how do we become a relevant church for our communities my first answer is why do you exist why does your local church exist and i do that at every local church that i've ever worked in i visit the members and i ask them and the leaders why does your church exist and every single time without fail at every single church that i've worked in without fail no one knows And so one guy gives me this answer. The other guy gives me that answer. This lady sits there for 15 seconds and and then gives me something, which basically means she's making it up as she's going along. (laughs) And and then once in a blue, I'll run into an honest soul who says, you know what? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's the thing. If you don't know why your church exists, it doesn't have a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And so you get all these people who have no idea why they're there. Mm -hmm. You put them in a room. And you say, "Let's do evangelism, and let's create a structure and let's do ministry, and what do you end up with? You end up with a room full of people all going in a hundred different directions, hmm. thinking they're all doing the same thing and they're not hmm. and And that's what breeds a lot of the problems that we have, you know, nominating committee. oh my goodness, who you know I call people? nobody wants to do anything. Well, of course they don't want to do anything. They're not inspired to do anything. Don't give me this oh, people are busy. Everybody's busy. Hmm. But when people are inspired when people have that flame it doesn't matter how busy they are they do it because they're inspired and that's the real issue man we, we don't our local churches so many of them have no heartbeat they don't know why they exist uh, they have no passion no inspiration um and as a result their muscle is inward their cosmetics is out of touch and again the solution is not just to go in and try and update the cosmetics we got to go back to the heartbeat that's that's the key
0: so The principle I really resonate with. So, I mean, just one of the things that you were saying in there that there's no correlation between contemporary worship and and retaining young people. I can vouch for that. I mean, even the church that that I'm currently at, it's a very traditional church. It's three hymns, sermon. It's simple, right? Um, Yep. But our youth retention is insanely good. It's like the best in our conference, and it, nice. It's and that's such a blessing because when I look at the board, the board is comprised. You know, over half the board are younger people, and mm. that's just b- because that's the that's the way it's gone. You know, and so I can really resonate with what you're saying that it doesn't necessarily have to be a certain way. It just needs to have purpose, and that's that's awesome. But the po- the question that I wanted to get to was where we've gone so far is is at a principal level at a tactical level when you are appointed as the pastor of a church and you show up how do you how do you go from no one knowing what the purpose of the church is to actually getting a rally point and getting people motivated and inspired what's the first thing you do from a tactical perspective awesome
1: beautiful question i've actually just finished writing a book mm-hmm. um called story church mm-hmm. And uh, In that book, I break down a real simple tactical approach to revitalizing a local Adventist church. I focused it on Adventist churches because we have a structure that's different from non-Adventist churches that tend to be congregational, and so they have dynamics that are much different. And I was reading a lot of church optimization books, and I was like, "Oh, this is great, but this will only worry, really works if I have a congregation or church. I don't you, know? yeah. <laughs> um, you guys can afford to hire a graphic designer and a web developer and seven pastors. I can't you know yeah. so so this was this this book I wrote is more geared to that and so let me give you the answer to the question because I haven't published the book yet so um the 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 thing that I do this is what I do again, you got to see what works for you, man, but this is what I do when I come to a church um and and I I see those same dynamics. The very very first thing I do, go to the different leaders and ask them, you know, why why does your local church exist? Bring a notebook with me, pen, write it down. And and without fail, every single time, they would they they had no idea. So I usually got one of three answers. Number one, I got a cliche. Oh, we're here for the community. Oh, we're here to spread the gospel. You know, nothing inspiring, just the same old stuff that you're used to hearing. Um, number two, I would hear um, something along the lines of, oh, I'm trying to remember it now. It's just totally, totally slipped my mind. Um, so, oh, yes, the second answer was uh, they would actually just sit there and make it up as they went. And it was very obvious because they would sit there for like 10, 15 seconds. Can you tell me why they, why your church exists? Yeah, Sure. And then literally for like 10, 15 seconds, they're just sitting there and then they they say something, um, which typically means you're making this up as you go along. Um, And again, the absolute rarest one was when someone would say, hey, look, honestly, I don't know. That was very rare. Um, And I love those people because, you know, hey, you're being really sincere. You don't know why your church exists. So I would do this for you know, for about six to eight months again and, and just getting all these – and I would write every single answer down because I wanted to know – I wanted to have a record of what everyone was saying. And what I would then do is once I had all these answers together, I would get the leaders together and I would show the answers to them. Now the reason why I did this is because th- there's a saying in business it, that 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 people love to buy but they hate to be sold. Hmm. And, and what that means is people love going to the shop and picking something up that's new. What they hate is a salesman telling them that they should buy it, trying to be sleazy and wheezy and and, and get them to buy it, right? Hmm. And so the, the you know the the sort of old school sly car salesman that everybody hates, you know. Yeah. Um, And so the idea is in a business, you want to create an environment where when someone purchases something, it's because it was their idea to purchase it, not because you somehow manipulated it or Mm -hmm. tried to manipulate it. And in this scenario, if you want lasting change in your church, your leaders have to be the ones – that make the decision that the church needs revival. You shouldn't go in there telling them you need revival, you need revival, you need revival. I've seen so many pastors do that and people just start rolling their eyes after a while Hmm. because it's not about telling them that they need revival, it's about showing them that they need revival. That's what this whole experience or this whole exercise is about. Once I've spoken with each of these leaders and gotten their why the church exists, I compile all that information together. I bring the leaders together. Usually we're about a year into you know, our ministry there. I bring the leaders together. I sit them down in a room and I say to them, I've visited every single one of you and I've asked you why your church exists. And here are all the different answers I've gotten. And I put all the different answers up, the cliche ones, the 15 second, you know, you, may, you make a note. This person took 15 seconds, you know, the, the 15 second before I answered one and the I don't knows. And I, I, I do include some church members as well. Hmm. And and what I say to them is, look, you guys have no idea why you exist. Everyone here thinks this church is here for a different reason. And if we don't have a united vision of why we're here then we can forget about building the kingdom of god it's never going to happen we have to be united first and once we're united then we can build the kingdom of god i'd hand it over to them what do you guys think about this what do you think about all of these answers and how this gets in the way of our mission and what that does is what i see is the eyes open ah yeah and they see, you know, people see all these cheesy answers and these answers that don't even agree with each other. They realize we're not united. We have no idea why we're here. And so what I've done is rather than tell them, rather than show up and just preach a sermon on why we need to grow the church and showing statistics of people not growing, you know, here are all the statistics of the people today who don't know Jesus. That doesn't connect hmm. with human psychology, Um And that's the thing that I've noticed. Like, It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. Human psychology is the same the world around. People respond to stories. People respond to being shown, not to being told. Mm. And so that's what this exercise is about. Now, it takes time, and I take my time on purpose, and I have these conversations on purpose. I'm not in a rush. Mm. These guys have been dead for a long time. We're not here to fix it overnight. Mm. But once we get in that room and I show them this and I say, hey, this is the reality of where we are. We are completely... We have no idea why we're here. We have no heartbeat as a church that from then on working on a pathway to fix that is super easy. Hmm. Now, when I, when I haven't done that in the past and jump straight to the pathway, it's like bending arms and twisting, you know, legs and pulling teeth the whole time because Hmm. no one really sees why it's necessary. Hmm. So you got to start with the why, Hmm. uh, and then the rest flows a lot smoother. So yeah, that's, that's my long winded answer to, uh, your question. And so, uh, yeah, and again, I
0: guess just following the, the that particular rabbit hole a little bit further, uh, when when you do identify, okay, w- this is the this is the problem, and you get a unified reason for being. Uh, mm. You said it's easy from that point on, but uh, I I assume. Well, okay, I'll, I'll change the question. What changes at that point? So, okay, so people now know that the reason that they're there, but then what changes practically in the church?
1: All right, good good question. So. Um, discovering why you exist is not an easy process. That process has to be on point. And when it comes to the the method that I use to optimize a church, we spend 75% of our time on why and the rest on creating a plan. So the bulk of our time is on that why. That thing has to be hunkered in and settled down really, really well. And then afterwards, you have to continue to communicate it. Hmm. That why is the most important one. Now, explaining how I go through that is probably outside of the scope of this this podcast because it would sure. take the rest of our time. Yeah. But um, I do outline step-by-step hmm. step in that book, Story Church, which I hope to release next year. Hmm. It will be on the StoryChurchProject.com. Hmm. But we'll um, definitely I'll share that snippet. with our
0: followers. So if you guys awesome. are interested, make sure you yeah, sign up over there. But also, I'm sure we'll let you know as well. So
1: sweet ass, thanks, mm. man. Mm. Um, but I'll give you a snippet. The way that you discover why you exist as a church is through stories. Everything is about stories. Mm. Right, this isn't about data. This isn't about information. This is about stories. And so what I do, I give you just a quick, quick, quick few snippets of what I do with my leaders. Mm. I sit them down. They know why they don't know why they exist. I sit them down. We have two meetings that are three hours each, hmm. all right? <clears throat> the first meeting, we're looking at why from a personal angle. I say, you know, what, what I'm really looking at is why do you follow Jesus? Why are you here as an individual, right? Um, and, and that is an amazing meeting because the testimonies that come out of there, they hear stories about each other that they never knew. And you leave that meeting with such a high because it's like, you know, at the last one that I did, you know, one of the ladies shares her testimony. She'd been in this church for forever, Um, and, and, and no one, no one knew she shares her testimony, how she was abused by her, by her husband and all this crazy stuff. And people are just sitting there like, wow, you know, and, and another lady was talking about how she struggled so much to believe that God had accepted her and, 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 and her struggling with assurance of salvation, you know, and people from different walks and they're all sharing these amazing stories of why Jesus matters to them. Um, and it's just it's, it's stunning. And then our second meeting, what we do is we revisit the why, but we revisit it as a church. And, and one of the questions I ask them is, tell me one moment, name one moment, tell one story, one story where this church made you proud. And, and so they share these stories and there's a lot of this going on, right? This is just like a mini snippet. There's a lot of this Mm. going on where people are just telling these stories back and forth. Um, and then you combine all of that together and you start to formulate a really simple why, but it's not a why based on clever words and marketing. It's a why based on the stories that they've been telling. Mm. And so by the time you've got it all figured out, you know, that why is really, really meaningful. Uh, for those people and and that's the key like it's not meaningful necessarily for me as the pastor but it's meaningful for them Um, and so now the question that you asked that's just a bit of a snippet because it's hard to answer the next question without um, going through that but the question that you ask is what is practically what does it look like in the church like what are the kind of changes that you see and the very first thing that you see when you've got your why figured out is now you restructure all of your ministries for kingdom building so for example i just had a meeting with uh with one of my churches last sabbath and i told them I, all the leaders were there and i told them here's what we're doing we figured out our why this is why we exist we had three points that were were, were key to that um the the narrative of scripture our relationships are nurture for one another and bringing hope to our community. Those are the three things that leapt out of all the stories they told, right? Mm -hmm. And so I say to them, all right, now what I want to know is how is every single ministry in this church going to fulfill that? Mm -hmm. And I told them, I don't care if you're the treasurer um, or the communications director or the guy on the PowerPoint, every single one of you is building the kingdom of God. There are no administrators here. Mm -hmm. We are not just crunching numbers, and 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 typing up bulletins we're building god's kingdom every single one of us and so what they had to do was they had to split up into their teams and look at the church mission statement that why statement and say how does this look like in our scenario so for example children's ministry right how does this look like in children's ministry what how can we rephrase this statement uh, as our ministry to the children and their families, and tra- even the treasurer. You know, how do I re- rephrase this statement so that my ministry as a treasurer is about building the kingdom of God in this local church, and and financing and fundraising and and all <clears throat> all that stuff um, related to to our mission. So everyone now starts thinking of themselves as a kingdom builder, not as someone who's just there oiling the machine to keep it running. Mm. And what happens when a church loses its heartbeat is everyone goes into maintenance mode. And so now that we got the heartbeat back, the very next step is we got to get out of maintenance mode. We got to get creative. We we've got to make really simple, meaningful plans for how we're going to actually start building the kingdom of God. So that's the very next step. Now once that begins to happen and it begins to happen regularly, now the the mission of the church begins to seep into the DNA of the church. The members begin to feel it. Everyone begins to feel it. And and the final step Uh, Which we've already started, is creating a pathway of discipleship so that every person who walks through those doors can go from someone who doesn't know Jesus at all Hmm. to someone who's reaching other people for Jesus. So we're not after baptisms. Baptism is not a metric.
0: Hmm.
1: Oh, we got 10 baptisms this year. You know, I mean, praise God. Like, I'm excited about it. But my real question is how many people this year became kingdom builders? Mm. Not how many people did we dunk in water. Yeah. How many people became kingdom builders? I'm, I, we want to see kingdom builders. Um, that's the win, you know? Mm. Um, and so once these things start happening and flowing, what you have is a church that now has a heartbeat. Its structure is outward focused, no longer on maintenance, now it's mm. focused on mission. Mm. And the cosmetics might change, mm. you know? Or maybe it won't. Maybe mm. it'll stay a traditional church. It mm. doesn't, honestly, mm. it doesn't really matter. Um, at the end of the day, and and I, I this is one of the big points that I took away from natural church development. It's not traditional or contemporary worship that reaches people. It's inspiring worship hmm. that reaches people, and that you can do that no matter what your style is, so long as you have a heartbeat. You know. Yeah.
0: Amen. So what I what I'd love to do now, I'm, I've sort of uh, packaged some some more fast form questions to sort of uh, fill the rest of our time just before we wrap up. So, uh, just to go through a few of those, um, one is, what do you see as some of the best things that are currently happening in our church? Trends that you see happening that make you excited?
1: Yeah, so, I think the biggest trend that I see happening that makes me excited is the overwhelming number of Adventist podcasts that are coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> <laughs> that is encouraging, you're right. Seriously, there's so many of them like just coming out of the woodwork and I'm like people are finding their voice and it's so cool. Yeah. Um, and and they're pretty much all young people hmm. um, and they're finding their voice and they're they're finding it in media and online outlet and it's awesome. So that's a really cool trend hmm. that I see taking place. Um, another really cool trend that I see taking place is I, I, I find that wherever I go, leaders are are passionate about reaching the culture. Hmm. Leaders are passionate about doing things to reach the culture. They're really supportive of innovation and creativity. Hmm. and And I'm talking about conference leadership here. Now, I know it's not like that everywhere in the world. Like I was hmm. talking to a friend of mine, recently from Mexico, where it's not, you know, at least in his particular region, it's not like that. Mm. But at least in the West, um, in the places that I've been, uh, I'm seeing a lot of support from leaders uh, in in conference, you know, who are like, look, you want to do something innovative and creative, we will back you up, we've got your back, we support you, we encourage you. Mm. I'm seeing a lot of that. Um, And so that's really encouraging, because there's something about trying something new, with the blessing of the brethren to put Mm. it that way yeah that is so powerful Mm. it's so powerful you know anybody can get up and stick it to the man and do something new Mm. but when you've got the support of a generation of leaders Mm. it's just so powerful it's so encouraging and empowering it's absolutely beautiful Mm. um so those are two things that i can think Mm. off at the top of my head that i see that are really cool yeah yeah that's great
0: um so the next one that i have is what would you um Sorry, what are the biggest opportunities that we are currently missing as a church that we should be jumping on
1: board with? Yeah, really good question. Another one. All your questions are really good, bro. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I've been saying really good question the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, opportunities. Oh, look, i I think, I think the main opportunity that a lot of us are still missing is the power of the local church um like i said i'm seeing a lot of support and stuff in the local in the conference level um i've yet to see the local church really taking off now that's not to say that there aren't local churches out there that are amazing because there are hmm. but it's not common it's not common in adventism at least in the west hmm. um most of our local churches are dead and dying and stubbornly so hmm. um and I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people just are not realizing just the absolute power and beauty and relevance of the local church. Um, hmm. I shared this. I shared this with the guys over at the Bur- at Burn the Haystack. Hmm. Um, but I'll share it with you because this is one of those areas where um, where military strategy has has helped me to see things from a you know a particular perspective. Hmm. And uh, you've probably heard this already if you heard that episode, but for those who haven't heard it, um, there's, there's an interesting dynamic in, in insurgent warfare that I learned when I was deployed in Iraq, and that is that uh, insurgent warfare, um, it's it's not like traditional warfare. It, it's not like, you know, here am I in blue and here are they in red, and we just form a line and pummel each other until somebody caves, you know? Um, insurgent warfare, guerrilla warfare is about small pockets of resistance that just continue to gnaw at you. And you can have all the superiority in the world and all the power in the world and all the economics in the world, but these insurgent tactics may just keep gnawing and gnawing and gnawing to the point that you lose heart. It's really quite clever because you can have a weaker force overcome a stronger force through this through this means. Um, we saw it in in Afghanistan with the Russians. Um, we we saw it in in North Korea when MacArthur sent his forces to uh, to the line to the to the Chinese border and they were stretched thin and the Chinese army just pummeled them left and right until they were forced to retreat. Um, almost wiped out the entire um, Marine division that was there. It's this it's this method right this tactic that's really effective. It doesn't matter how much power you have. It's, again, we saw the same thing in Vietnam. And so <clears throat> what you see here is what I observe with this in this whole scenario when it, when it comes to the local church and when I was talking about the local churches yeah I, I like to picture it like a tank hmm. you know you, you a tank is 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 a weapon that you bring into war that is extremely scary right if you see a tank you run away um you don't fight a tank i mean you can shoot it but the bullets are just going to bounce right off right it's heavily armored um at the top it's got you know crazy weapons you know grenade launchers um cannons that are just like high velocity you know fully automatic rivals um and then again it's followed by this incredible thick armor uh, and then underneath has got these tracks that enable it to drive over just about anything um and so when a tank shows up in the battlefield you run because there's nothing you can do unless you have another tank or a weapon strong enough to to penetrate its armor And so in insurgent tactic – in insurgent tactic rather, in guerrilla tactic, um, how do you stop a tank, right? Like what do you do to it when – because the the idea behind most insurgent or guerrilla warfare is that you just don't have that type of machinery. Hmm. Um, And so the method to stop the tank is rather than attacking the weapons at the top, which you can't compete against, or the armor in the middle, which you can't penetrate – what you do is you destroy the tracks underneath. And once you've destroyed the tracks underneath, you can make a bomb that's probably not strong enough to get through the armor, but strong enough to get through the tracks. And once you destroy the tracks, the weapons are still intact, the armor still intact, but now the tank is useless because it can't move. Um, and so this is a tactic that you could use if you had to take on a tank and you didn't have a tank, have uh, some sort of explosive device that's strong enough to destroy the tracks and you can immobilize the tank. Its weapons are still effective, its armor is still there, but it's become irrelevant to the battle, especially if the battle moves to a, you know, location where it's out of range, mm. like it's become irrelevant. Mm. And and that's a very, you know, sort of potent insurgent tactic because you can make this formidable weapon of warfare irrelevant in the very battle it was created for without actually destroying it. Mm. All you do is destroy the tracks. And when I look at the at the at the Adventist Church, what I see is in this metaphor, our weapons at the top are like you know the, those weapons at the top are like our GC, our resources, you know, uh, all those powerful things that we have, mm-hmm. that you know, um, things like you know Hope TV, you know, just these mm-hmm. amazing resources that can enable us to you know reach. And, and, and anywhere in the world and then you've got your armor you know your unions your local conferences they have all the legal support and and mm-hmm. and 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 financial backing and everything that you need you know as a local church if, if I as an adventist if I plant a local church I don't have to worry about creating legal policies and insurance and all that the conference got that sorted that's the mm-hmm. armor right it's it's impenetrable and then at the bottom the tracks you've got the local church mm-hmm. and the local church or the tracks are what moved tank. Right. The local church is what moves Adventism. Adventism is not moved by conferences and unions. Adventism is moved by the local church. We are the tracks. And if Satan wants to stop the Advent movement, he doesn't have to worry about the top. He doesn't have to worry about the armor in the conferences. All he has to do is destroy the tracks. All he has to do is destroy the local church and Adventism grinds to a halt we become practically irrelevant. We can have all the resources and all the policies and all the tools and and armor that we want, but if the local church is not moving, adventism as a tank is out of the fight. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I see Satan doing brilliantly. I mean absolutely brilliantly. Is look our GCs still creating amazing resources? Our local conferences are doing great things, and they're filled with great leaders. You know, they usually get all the pastors who are really good and stuff them in there, right? Hmm. Um, and so they're they're doing great things. But when you get to the local church, it's like, are you guys part of the same movement? Because there's, there's so many of them are barely, barely alive. And what I see is Satan using. Insurgent tactics against this church with absolute brilliancy and success. If he stops the local church, he stops Adventism, hmm. bottom line. Now, the good news is this. the good news is that even though the tracks are easy to destroy, hmm. um, <clears throat> they're also they're also easy to repair. Hmm. Um, and so you can have some engineers come out, fix the tracks, tanks back in action, right? Hmm. and 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 for me, I think you know, the local church can be repaired. And if if we can commit, you know, if we can commit to that journey of saying, let's revitalize and restructure and redesign our local churches for mission, get them back in the fight, hmm. Adventism is back on the move. Hmm. and And I think that's the opportunity that a lot of people are missing. They don't see... The relevance and the power and the importance of the local church, Satan gets it. That's why he's stopping local churches. That's why he's destroying them left, right, and center and getting them caught up in nonsense and division and all kinds of silly things because he knows if I stop them, I stop Adventism. Uh, But a lot of us don't seem to notice. And so we go to church year after year after year, decade after decade, no growth, no change, no transformation. Community has no idea we're here. We're doing nothing meaningful. And yet we act like nothing's wrong. Like this is normal. This is fine. Um, And for me, it's devastating because that is our opportunity. The local church is where Adventism moves. And if we can grasp that opportunity and and design our local churches for success, man, Adventism will will take the world by fire.
0: Man, I think that is a really powerful illustration. And I think that's a great place for us to leave this podcast. So I just want to thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time and really appreciated your insight.
1: Thank you very much for having me Luke. I really appreciate it man. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh and look, I want to get you uh on on my podcast as well. Mm. So um yeah, man, let's let's set up a time and uh make it happen.
0: Yeah, I'd love it. So just before you go, can you uh just anything you want to ask from the audience? Where can they find you if they want more, if they want to purchase any of your materials, etc. How do they find you?
1: Yeah, so um the easiest way to find me is the storychurchproject.com and all of my social media is linked there. Uh got the free course that i told you guys about there i've got a book there and some more things coming out so if you want to check it out um that's that's the place to go
0: all right no worries well thank you so much
1: thank you so much luke god bless you man thank you
0: Firstly, if you enjoyed the episode, please tell us about it. Jump onto social media wherever you happen to find us and tell us what you thought of the episode. Give us any suggestions of topics you may like to see in the future. We read everything and respond to just about everything that we can. Secondly, if you enjoyed the episode, share it with someone else who you know would love it too because that's ultimately how we grow. If you share it with your friends and then they share it with their friends and so it goes on. Thirdly, if you want to be one of our favorite listeners in the world, Just jump on and give us a review, particularly if you can jump into iTunes, give us a review there or whatever podcast aggregator that you happen to use. And also, if you want to give us a review on our Facebook page, that would also make a big difference to when people discover us and decide whether we're worth listening to. That would be a real blessing. But until then, we look forward to seeing you next time and have a great week. Bye.